When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast. Let's begin. So I mentioned this to you, but we'll, you, you said talk about it on the podcast. Uh, Ethan Klein, who is of H3H3, posted, and I'll pull it up real quick. So Cool. I already forget what we talked about, so this will be new for me. <laughs> he posted on Twitter. And Way said, off the mic, by the way. Sorry. He said, years ago, I interviewed Jordan Peterson before I was very familiar with his politics. He was an interesting guest who I enjoyed sitting with, but especially now, I can see he's a dangerous gateway to alt-right transphobia and COVID misinfo. I removed both interviews today. Uh, and that precipitated a thing where Jordan said, why did you do this? Ethan said, for these reasons. Jordan didn't write back to him and instead posted an article that the the headline was Jordan Peterson's schools, Ethan Klein, which he said you didn't even respond. But it was a whole like... Uh, one, like it was Jordan an example posted of... posted an article? Jordan in response... That someone else wrote. Yeah, yeah. That someone else wrote that said, Jordan Peterson schools Ethan Klein, which is like... It, Twitter is just an awful way to have conflict. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it well, it's a thing. great way to have conflict. It's a bad way to resolve <laughs> it's a, conflict. Right, it's a horrible way to resolve It's a great conflict. way to have conflict. But, uh, and I think like, I don't know why, I do not know why he asked for specifics and then didn't address them, which I thought was... Uh, Weird missed opportunity on his part. But the part that I'd mentioned to you that I thought was interesting is ostensibly in what Ethan is saying, the reason that he doesn't want to have him on the podcast is because he's a gateway. And so yeah, yeah. exposure to him is a problem. Well, and so if you're if you truly have this mindset that you did an interview, you Put, enjoyed the person, yeah. but talking to them and putting it public gets them eyes, then what you should do is Delete the podcast and quietly, say nothing. Quietly. If that's your goal. <laughs> if, if your goal is to not, you know, and just to drop in the bucket because no, he's just everywhere. if your goal is don't be a gateway to Jordan Peterson's ideology, then what you would do is remove Jordan Peterson from your podcast And library. purposely say nothing because yes. your belief is that any exposure to him, even if it's a nice guy on your podcast talking about self-improvement, is going to be a problem. But that's so weird. Why didn't he do so that? So why? If that was his, wait, but wait, but wait, if that was his goal, why yeah. didn't he just do that? Yeah. And it's not, it's not a brilliant or novel realization that this is uh, some combination of virtue signaling, which is look how great I am. And it, you know, to the express opposite of what he said his purposes were. Well, that's it, my favorite part. <laughs> that it, he he brought more attention to him. That's my favorite all part. of his fans. It was worth bringing yeah. more attention to Jordan Peterson and his dangerous ideologies because he got to tell people that he thought they were dangerous ideologies. So being able to identify as that guy, mm -hmm. the guy that takes down the Jordan Peterson podcast, was worth bringing more eyes to the Jordan Peterson ideology. Yeah, and... Which I love. I love. Well, that. so his new his podcast host um, Hassan 
then said, I think you should come on our new podcast to clarify your positions, which is ridiculous. Wow. Because the reason, wow. like, wait, this is someone who can't even talk about self-improvement. Like, he didn't speak about any of those positions. That needed to be stricken from the internet uh, in a very public manner, needed to be announced. And now you yeah, should come on the podcast. About- and so it's like, look, it's well, very- he wasn't talking about COVID or trans no, issues on the original no. H3 podcast. Correct. So now they're going to have him back on to talk about that stuff. Don't you about- think that that's a gateway to the alt right? <laughs> so I love it. It it's uh, and of course, and I, like I said, I don't actually don't think Jordan handled the Twitter interaction that great either because it's I th- I think the platform encourages the worst kinds of conflict. No, but your but your point, which is the last psychiatrist point, is forget what people say is the reason why they're doing it. And just look at the actions. This is what does this person want? Mm-hmm. They want people to view them a certain way, and they want views. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. All the behavior that makes no sense makes perfect sense. Yeah. So that, and that's, that's the last psychiatrist, which is just like the words that people say, people's conscious minds are just lawyers that try to frame everything that they do in the most advantageous light. But if you, if you could deafen yourself and, and pretend that you don't hear and just watch the outcome, you get much clearer. Uh, insight into people's real motivations because they tend to move pretty expertly towards the things that they want. This mm-hmm. is actually something that we've realized uh, and had to deal with in coaching a lot of the time. People be like, you know, I want to get a girlfriend. I want to do this. I care. I care. I care. And the first step of coaching um, when you're talking to someone is to understand their world. And the second is to get leverage. That's like a Tony Robbins thing that we learned because when people say, I want a girlfriend, what they're not revealing to you is what I value much more than getting a girlfriend is not getting rejected. Mm-hmm. And that's the number one driver in my life. So like, uh, what they mean is having a girlfriend would be nice if I could snap my fingers. Yeah. But the thing that I'm going to move towards with unfailing uh, consistency is not getting rejected. And until you expose and adjust their actual motivations, nothing will work yeah. because they're just trying to not get rejected and they'll make sure that they serve that priority above all else. Uh, so, yeah, just fuck. I don't know. I don't know if it's Twitter or the whole thing or the the YouTube social media thing, which encourages this because this drums up controversy. Well, yeah, this, I, I actually this went great for Ethan. I Because the people it's that perfect. the people that aren't going to think critically about it will just take him at face value. Mm-hmm. And so he and they'll go, wow, he's so great for not wanting to be a gateway to the alt-right. Like they don't realize that this was actually completely and antithetical if Jor- to that. And if Jordan had come on, I would have watched it, which would have been money in his pocket. If he does go on, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then if he does go on, it's just more views. And so he it serves his- At this point. I it serves his, his goals. Yeah. You don't think Jordan will? Because Jordan wants views too. The fact that he didn't engage in the Twitter conversation sort of led me to believe that it was uh, a finished conversation. Well, I guess we'll just watch- what Jordan does, and then we'll get to know what he's oriented towards. If he's, he's oriented towards yeah. a peaceful life or spreading message with positivity, or if he's oriented towards views. My sense of him lately is that he actually is trying to minimize conflict. Sure. I, I think he's got a lot of opinions that he knows will not be received well by the public, the New York Times, and a lot of you know the Ethan Kleins of the world, and doesn't say them as vociferously and doesn't engage in debate because I don't. I don't. I think he's kind of past that time of his yeah. life. He he wants to talk to people who agree with him think after his illness because i don't think he has the emotional physical or like spiritual stamina to deal with that and i don't mean that's what he says i don't mean yeah i've heard that's those are his words i don't mean to say that in a disparaging way he's just like i I he said you know i've been through a lot and i don't he said it's 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 good that that stuff happened in the past because he doesn't think he'd be able to replicate it today 
Uh, so yeah, that was that was just an interesting little thing that happened this week. Random, because I saw this. I was watch a couple things came up. I was watching Alex Ramosi talk to Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. I saw a Reddit thread about landlords where they 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 hate landlords, and you know Grant Cardone's got multiple buildings allegedly that he owns mm-hmm. four hundred units in. Was curious if you'd thought at all or had any opinion on landlords. I don't mean in the sense of I have this house, I built the next door house, and I rent that to a neighbor. I mean people that, uh, because of their wealth, own multiple properties that they rent out. Redditors, which I don't believe necessarily the world's greatest economists, say that that drives up the price of housing, makes people live in lifelong serfdom where they never actually own their own home because there's such uh, demand for housing from the landlords who can then extort them for rent for the rest of their lives rather than having more affordable housing that is individually owned by the family inside of it. Which, I don't know if you've thought at all about this, but you've got then you've got like the Zillows of the world that were trying to do speculative buying, the Black Rocks that are buying up houses everywhere. Well, for buying a house- I probably should have asked you this before so you could- <laughs> No, no, no. I'm just thinking for buying a house maybe, but in terms of, shouldn't supply demand just kind of sort itself out? Like if every, if every uh, house- in Queens got bought up by developers Mm -hmm. and the price got jacked up. Wouldn't people just leave Queens and go to the Bronx and commute? I think it's, there's a possibility that there's fairly inelastic demand for well, one for housing generally. Like everybody needs a roof over their head and they will pay a lot different price. Now location is a different question. Well, sorry, but you're, is it wrong? You're saying, is it wrong to charge people the rate that they're willing to pay. Yeah. Well, I think we can say that's, you can make the same argument for like diabetes medicine. Like people will pay all of their money to get their insulin. You know, they'll, they'll okay. empty their bank accounts. There are things that we don't want to uh, maximize value capture. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and so it does housing. I don't know if you know enough about the economics of it or if it's. Are, just, the, are the economics of housing particularly unique? Isn't it just people buy it and then they charge a rent and then people agree to the rent or not. And if people agree to the rent, it goes up. And if people mm-hmm. don't agree, then the rent goes down. I mean, that's, yeah, I think a fair high level thing. And with the, the addition of perhaps not as inelastic as insulin, but fairly inelastic. Yeah, I guess the difference, and uh, I'd be curious what people think. I, I, everyone has the right to a home. I'm not sure you have the right well, to live wherever you want. So well, I think of the, the, when you say right, what do you mean? Well, so when we think of diabetes, the idea is that everyone has a right to life. And so it's not, it's not good. And we want government intervention to allow people to afford the medicine without having to pay what they'd be willing to pay, which is everything, right? I, so, I would not use the term right there, but I just want to understand what you're saying. Sure. sure. So right, just forget right. The, I think we want a society want, yes. that allows people yes. to get medicine. And I think we want a society that allows people to get homes. I know many people who want to be actresses or models in New York City. And so mm-hmm. they moved to New York and they had six roommates. Yeah. You wanted to be a writer, but you wanted to live in New York City because I was there. Mm-hmm. And so you had a very, very small room, but roughly the size of a bed. And the, the door couldn't open because there wasn't room for both a bed and opening the door because I had a similar sized room. It banged, it banged the side of the... Yeah. Is that wrong? Well, I don't know that everyone has a quote unquote right to try to be an actress. You know, like I think those people could have gone to Arkansas and gotten housing. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought a ton about this, but I don't, and also it's not that bad to have a roommate. So I don't know that it's wrong if someone wants to pursue a moonshot dream and go to the place 
that has massive demand because lots of people want to live there in New York City. Yeah. And so what do they do? They live with other people, which isn't a death sentence by any means, uh, because they've chosen to rather than living further away, like in New Jersey and commuting or going to Arkansas and just not pursuing being a movie star. Yeah. Well, that part doesn't seem unfair. So I guess I don't know what the... I guess I'd, I'd have to understand the individual argument for what's unfair because I, I don't mind that. It's like, you were, yeah, you're trying to pursue your dream. You want to do whatever you want to do and you're able to, but you need a roommate. Yeah. Well, I'm reminded of our conversation with Brett Weinstein, who I think we, we talked briefly in the conversation. He had the term rent seekers as sort of this catch-all term. And I actually think that's a, we talked about it. It's a dangerous catch-all term because there are times when rent uh, collection is totally appropriate. Like I built this house, I built the house next door with my bare hands, let's say, you know, I got all the lumber and my neighbor is looking for a place. They don't, they don't have the funds to build a house, but they're willing to lease what I've built. Or That's like a good yeah. economic activity that we want to encourage. Or you're just me right now. You're like, mm-hmm. things are going well with the business. I have no idea how mm-hmm. long that'll last. I don't and have don't a normal thing. California forever. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to buy a home. Mm-hmm. I can't guarantee my income. Yeah. I might make nothing in 2022. I've decided mm-hmm. to be an entrepreneur and that's just the hand you accept when you do that. I like renting. Yeah. And being able to go, oh, I can't afford this anymore. Things have turned south. Well, it's time to move to Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> like it did. So seem- I, I personally think renting for me right now is preferable. So I definitely am glad that I don't have to buy a home now maybe someone would argue well if there were if there were no one who was allowed to rent you a home then your home would be cheap Mm -hmm. so cheap that you wouldn't mind buying it maybe i'm living maybe i'm swimming in the water of renters and what they're saying is no your your house in malibu would be 50 grand if you were only allowed to own one home at a time Mm -hmm. i don't know i i don't know that that's the case or not I think what the thought that i had while watching grant cardone is because he's big into real estate is that I do see the argument that like he doesn't seem to be providing a ton of value. Mm -hmm. He seems to be investing this and collecting money and really capturing a ton of value without providing a ton of value. He's uh, buying a pre-existing lot, jacking up the rents, uh, and you can argue that that's like making a more efficient market and maximizing what he's extracting from the renters and kicking some of the people out so that uh, more people come in and maybe he'll add a new fountain to this location or something like that. But he's not active in the management. It it that seems like and perhaps i'm just too far away to understand the value that's being added a class of activity that we don't want to encourage which is just uh that yeah just making a lot of money without uh clear under clear not clear understanding it's my clear understanding without providing value um and i don't know do you you were in the finance world you see these masters of the universe is moving money around, making millions and billions of dollars. What is your perspective on if that's a good thing that poor people just don't understand is a necessary part of the economy? And yes, people will accrue millions and billions of dollars doing it. Or do people have a point when they are upset about rent-seeking activities and non-productive value capture? Well, it all just comes down to scale. I mean, the reason anybody can make a lot of money in finance is just scale. So you have things you're like, well, why do we bother with a public equity market at all, right? Well, public equity market makes a lot of sense. If you want to get businesses funding and you want to make that accessible to not just the rich, so you allow anyone to buy a stock. Like there's a good argument for having a public stock market. Mm-hmm. And then you just get someone that's convinces $50 billion worth of funding to come to them to manage and then they get their two and 20%. And all of a sudden you're like, well, why is that guy 
making $40 million a year, he's not doing anything that's that additive to society. You go, it's just a just scale thing. It's like the argument for why do professional athletes make more money than mm-hmm. public school teachers? It's like, yeah, we, I think we all agree. If you had to destroy every school or destroy every pro athlete league, you would keep the schools. But the problem is a teacher affects 10 people mm-hmm. or 50 people and professional athlete can provide entertainment to 300 million people. So they get paid a shit ton more, not because the sport is more valuable than teaching, but because of the scale. And so mm-hmm. with Grant Cardone, it's like, so you think that finance is providing a little bit of value. It just scales. So well, here's, I'll, I'll walk you through my thought process. You say, well, Grant Cardone, the reason he can make so much money is because of leverage, right? Mm-hmm. If he had to buy everything up front, he, it wouldn't be as profitable. And to be clear, for those of you who don't know, leverage is that he has a certain amount of money that he's accrued over the part of his life, he goes to the bank, takes out nine or 10 times that, and then buys a property with that. Right. And so my initial thought process was, well, if you got rid of the leverage, you would really, really decrease the cost of houses Mm -hmm. because it would be a much worse investment if you Mm -hmm. just had to buy a house in cash. Well, the problem is individual buyers don't want to buy a house in cash. And so you could, you could make a law that said for your first house, you're allowed to use leverage, but anything beyond your first property, Mm. you can't, let's say, but you wouldn't want a rule that said, you can't use leverage because then people who are buying their homes will still want their mortgages. Yeah. So whether or not you think he's contributing, he's just following the same rule of the hedge fund guy, which is, okay, well, you're buying your $50,000 house with five grand down. I'm going to do that a thousand times. Got it. So what, you, what you're saying is that the reason that houses are like this is not necessarily because it's something with houses or inelastic demand, but it's that it's one of the few... Uh, financial assets that we allow people to buy with crazy amounts of leverage. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I can't, you, I, I can't imagine going to the bank and be like, I want to buy Tesla. <laughs> you know, can yeah, I have, I'm, listen, can I'm you, gonna will buy you give me stock. 10 times as much yeah, yeah, money? I'm going to go start a hedge fund. <laughs> and what I want you to do, I'm going to yeah. put 50 grand down. I want you to give me $500,000 and then I'll buy $550,000 worth of public equity, whatever I want, AT&T, mm-hmm. Facebook. I would imagine that would be quite hard to do. Mm-hmm. but you can do it in real estate, which is why it's, uh, if you, if you assume real estate always goes up or you think that you're good enough to pick in locations that will always go up, mm-hmm. it's just very easy to make a lot of money because you don't need Got that it. much to and buy that also, much. And important, we have bankruptcy law in the United States of America, which means your downside is capped. Like you can recover from mm-hmm. a bankruptcy. You, you cannot be put into lifelong servitude. And if that did not exist, I think there's problems that would occur, but you would not see this is part of my issue with Grant Cardone is he seems very, very smart because he's used leverage to his advantage. But the way our, and he's used the system, the way our system is structured is that there's no downside to that. The downside or the downside is not commensurate with the potential upside. Well, yeah, especially because what you do is you just open up 50 different corporations, corporations that, that buy the different properties. So if you, let's say I take out 10 loans, each loan is more than my personal wealth, mm-hmm. Right. So I have a million dollars and I take out 10, $2 million loans. So if any of them were to go bankrupt on me personally, I'm fucked, but I don't, I just start 10 entities that aren't me that protect me from that bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that go bankrupt, I just shut down. I go, okay, this entity can't exist anymore. You can take all the houses. The bank gets every asset that that owns, but my other entities still exist. So I actually still Mm -hmm. own seven properties through those seven different entities. So it didn't cost me anything personally or professionally. It just meant that I lost that one asset. And by the way, that asset was a million dollars, but I only put a hundred grand in. And so I lost a million dollar asset, but I lost a hundred grand 
and I have nine other things that yeah, I put yeah, hundred yeah. grand into. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, that, yeah. so that's no, how the set up. Gruber, be quiet. Oh, oh. <laughs> is he on camera, Justin? Can you see him back there? Maybe they can only hear me howling. They don't know what I'm howling at. Um, so one of the one of the things that I mentioned to you, but I think it's worth repeating, is that as I was watching Grant Cardone, I I did on Alex. I was like, I feel like there's an ethical conversation that is not being had here. This mm-hmm. is about how to make a lot of money and how one can do it. Uh, and the point where I thought that was where he describes how he picks these places, and he says, "I have no analysts. I just trust that if I take a big enough loan out from Goldman Sachs, that they'll use their analysts." And it seems like classic using uh, externalizing costs of things. And how does that work? Okay, so he trusts that if Goldman Sachs will give him a loan on this housing unit, that they've done their diligence. And Goldman Sachs trusts that that if they fuck up, the U.S. taxpayer will just pay for everything. (laughs) So he's plugging into this too-big-to-fail system that is offloaded, you know, that is privatized gains and offloaded losses. And uh, it's... I don't know. I don't think that's a good thing to do. I yeah. think I think the fact that you're unwilling to do your own analysis because you trust that Goldman's got your back and they trust that I've got their back is a bummer and not not a great way to. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you don't want to align yourself with with the the too big to fail corporations. I guess is what I'm saying. And, and it's a good way to make a lot of money. You know what I mean? To to make to make yourself a player on the sure. same way that they are. Well, I think it's always easy to criticize a system when you don't look at its alternatives or have to suggest a better system. Yeah. So yeah, this one's got problems. I'm thinking what, what could the alternative be? The alternative is you can only own one home. You can buy commercial property to rent out for offices. Oh, but- sorry. I think, I think, and I could be wrong downside. Like the problem is that there's an asymmetry between the upside that one stands to make in this market and the downside so that people, uh, can feel themselves financial geniuses by taking out tremendous amounts of leverage. And if shit goes sure, wrong. Sure. Okay. But this, so, okay. What is the alternative to not allow bankruptcy to make someone personally on the hook for when a business goes bad, mm-hmm. no one will ever start a business or take out a loan or invest in anything that's beyond mm-hmm. their personal wealth, which is going to horrifically stall innovation, mm-hmm. which according to Elon Musk is the only advantage the U S has compared to countries like China. And the second that we don't innovate at a rate rapidly above their rate of innovation, the whole country is screwed. So like, maybe we don't want that. Mm-hmm. So you just go through the alternatives. Like, okay, so we don't necessarily want to get rid of bankruptcy law. Do we want to amend bankruptcy law based on net worth? I don't know. And then you go to, you're saying, is it wrong to have a renter? I'm saying, what's the alternative? You don't have anyone own more than one home. Well, what happens to the people who have negative net worth? Their rent right now, they literally don't have savings. Yeah, yeah no, so and nobody's going to build a home for them. Yeah. Well, now they can't rent homes. So, okay, if we're not going to allow people to own more than one property, then we need the government to supply housing for all the people with negative net worth. So I, as this, I, like you said, you didn't tell me we were going to talk about this ahead of time. So this is how I think through this is I'm just running through what would the alternative be? And I don't know a simple, elegant solution that makes it so that the U.S. has no renters, only homeowners. Mm-hmm. So I could think about it for more than the five minutes that we've been well, no, here, I, but... No, no, and where I come back to on this, which is why, like, I, I never like policy for the exact reason that you're coming into, because you have a good intention and then it just gets fucked. I like philosophy because if you go to what, what the core problem here is that people are trying to fuck one another. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're trying... Nah, that's not the right term. They are single-mindedly trying to get as much money as they can, some people, with no end in sight. You know what I mean? without an ethical thought. And that that was my issue with, 
with the conversation of Grant. Like, have, did you think, is this a good way to make money? Or did you think, is this the way to make the most money? And it seemed clear to me that... Well, I think most people, I actually will say, just think within the system. So I don't know that... I, I don't think it's necessarily that... I wouldn't say that Grant comes off as evil or anything like that in no, this no, no. one he interview just, that just I watched. Unquestioning, unquestioning. Well, yeah, he just says this is the system. This is the game. This is how the game works. The game has rules. And then he just goes and plays the game. Yeah. And so... I totally agree. Is that on him to self-assess and amend his behavior? Sure. But also, probably you can't rely on that. Think oh, that definitely not. On that. Definitely Even not. if Grant were to... So, like, then what's... So, the problem is that... He, you don't like the system and the rules. And so that's what everyone on Reddit is basically saying is these are unfair rules. And so the question is, what's a better rule set? Because well, I do, I really do think that people often, it's so easy to be anti-establishment and anti-tradition without having any better way to do it. Totally. And also I think a lot of times often the way people get rid of student loan, forgive student loan debt. It's like, this is a stupid way to do mm-hmm. this. So like <laughs> either they don't have suggestions or the suggestions aren't good. And so, yeah, is it, is our current housing market good or should we change it? I have no idea, but I would want an alternative that seemed thoughtful and superior before I was on board with, okay, the current way is not good enough. Yes. And so I don't, I tend not to Which it might not be. encourage like, and maybe this is a deficiency, uh, these <clears throat> systemic changes for the reasons that you pointed out, which is, I don't know the downstream negative consequences of it. The level of intervention that if, if it were possible would work would be a moral level intervention. I'm not saying that he's a bad guy, but to have uh, everyone, and especially the rich and powerful who whose uh, reach is magnif- magnified, to think, is what I'm doing right regardless of if it is legal? Is this a good way to provide value? You know, that that, that sort of thought process is not included and what is baked into the system is uh, what we hear a lot in marketing, which is, you know, your job as a marketer is to make sure that as many people have access to your amazing product as <laughs> as you can possibly do. It is your ethical obligation to sell, uh, which I believe is a corollary of this is how the game is played. I have to make as much money as possible and tell myself whatever mm-hmm. I need to in order to to legally do that. Yeah, but you know people in real estate, and they don't. They actually would genuinely tell you that they're doing good i'm buying something I'm, that's shitty yeah and then i invest money in it and i make it better and it helps make the area safer and then i make a bunch of money off of it yeah. but they, they're not uh they wouldn't say that what they do is play a rigged game where they're stealing money they would say i'm using my capital to make other people's lives better and i get rewarded for it and if i did a bad job by the way no one would want to pay the new rent for these nicer places Right, or they buy commercial property and then they open up something that they believe in. And they go, I'm, "The world is better off." Look, I made this yeah. yoga studio. I made this supermarket. Like people get food or they get health because of me. I agree, and I'm. I think that that's. They might be right. Like, I guess what I'm hoping is that that thought process is informed genuinely by: Is what I'm doing good? I want to get to the bottom of this, and not this makes me money. Let me explain to myself why this is a good thing, which is, I think how people actually often make decisions. Yeah, but they don't know that. So anyone listening to this is going to go, yeah, well, I'm the good part. Oh, great. Well, great point. Uh, humans, myself, Ben, you out there, dear listener, we uh, we have this lawyer that 
that gets us what we want. And it's our conscious rationalizations that justifies our everything, our selfishness, our, our kindness or whatever. And, and it, this and is wealth agnostic, in the, nicest, by the, way. Yeah, the yeah. poorest people and the wealthiest people 100%. all have this. So I'm, it, I'm saying everyone listening to this is going to mm-hmm. be going, I agree. Other people should be more <laughs> yeah, moral. Yeah, yeah. Like me, because I'm moral. That's every single person's thought, yes. including the people you're talking about. Yes. Which is why it's, we often talk about like, you know, where should we buy our shirts? Where should we get our food? Like what kind of investments are good investments? Should you invest at all? How much money do you, do you owe charitable causes? Uh, and I don't think the answers to these are clear. And I don't think that you can look to your neighbors and go, well, this is what they're doing. Therefore, that's a good thing. Because if you look to your neighbors throughout history, you will own slaves mm-hmm. and, you know, beat your wife and do all sorts of horrible things I also because think it's other worth, people do them. I also think it's worth noting the government, everything that they do sucks. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you would say no one can own more than one home and if you have negative net worth, the government will take care of your housing and expect that to go any better than a trip to the DMV. Well, I, I don't know that everything the government does sucks. Like, from what I understand, the interstate project is pretty incredible. Some of the infrastructure that, that we have is... I wonder great. if I already talked about it or if I have a list because I have a list of the things that the government does. That's they do a good, lot of they do a lot of stuff at a, at a not great level. But again, I could bring your point of, and I, I know that you don't mean it. I deleted it. You I don't, don't know mean where everything. It is. You don't mean everything. You mean government often has bloat bureaucracy, people justifying last year's budget by spending on shit that they don't need to, uh, lack of incentive to innovate. Those those things are sort of baked into free funding from the public and. Yeah, well, I mean, and little little uh, accountability to do a good job or to speed things up, and no competition. Like that's I mean, that's what happens. The post office is worse than FedEx and UPS. I don't know if that's true, man. NASA was worse than SpaceX. Why do you if think the post office is worse? Post office is cheap, easy to send a letter. If it were better, then no one would have used FedEx. No, no, but those are those are particular use cases. You want to send a letter, you don't go to FedEx or UPS. And no one wants to send a letter. There's email. How, go to your mail. Check, check your mailbox. It's, it's, spa- it's spam mail. Uh, yeah, but, it's, mail all, but it's all the post office. It's all from the post office. They send, they send by far most of the mail. FedEx I, and UPS would be out of business if they weren't able to offer a superior product to in US. a particular. Yes. yes, yes. But that's, that's like saying uh, the post office would be out of business if, uh, if Tesla, like they're, they're not in the same business. They're in different businesses. They send letters and postcards and small freight and they send super fast large freight which is sure and majority of the mail that is sent i believe is post office i'd have to pull it up i do think that the post office and again this is a contentious one um i don't think it's fair to say that everything the government does is crappy most everything that the government does is less efficient than when a private company comes in and i think that's been seen in a lot of uh things in the world. I think this is also why, I mean, yeah, just look at all, like people have issues with the military. They have issues with the police. Firefighting is one of the few that they don't have issues with. Mm -hmm. They have issues with the DMV. I think if the government took over housing, people would have massive issues with how they did it. I don't think it's automatically going to be superior. Well, yeah. So to be clear, I don't take over housing. The government is already involved in housing. There's building codes and property taxes. And like the question is, is not yes government or no government. It's where government and how much government. Yeah, and I'm saying I think um, without a clear plan, I think that the idea that what we should do is limit people to one property 
and then anyone who can't afford their own property will go through a government program to get their property. Mm-hmm. No, I don't believe I would that. not assume that that's going to go better. Oh, I definitely don't believe that. I definitely don't believe that. So yeah, so then what do you do? So if you're a Reddit person who mm-hmm. says that we shouldn't have rent-seeking people. They're just angry. I agree. So this is what I'm saying. So it's like, you shouldn't, <laughs> no one should pay rent. Everyone should own a home, okay? How are you going to get a home? How? You have yeah. $300 in your bank account. No one wants to sell you a property. No one wants to sell you land. So how are you going to do that? Well, you're going to have to have government intervention because the market doesn't want to give you a house for $300. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're going to have to have a massive government program that gets housing for anyone who can't afford a home. Mm-hmm. How much? What percent of the U.S. has less than, what should a home cost? 40 grand, let's say. I forget should. I don't know. Well, but. no, no, I'm saying like, what's a fair, like I'm going low, right? That's obviously a very low cost price of for goods, home. let's say, in a home, whatever, okay. fine. So anyone who has less than 40 grand savings, because now we also got rid of leverage, right? Mm-hmm. So how many people in the U.S. Yeah, have? Yeah. Well, so obviously I'm, I, I, I'm not saying get rid of leverage or end bankruptcy or, or any of this. Uh, and in fact, I, I tend not to advocate for any sort of systemic level change with potential exception of legalizing drugs <laughs> like i because i don't know how these these downstream effects of the laws will go yeah, yeah. So, that's, so that's my only thing you said what's my opinion my opinion is i don't know what the alternative would be mm-hmm. i've never seen anyone suggest a good alternative mm-hmm. so yeah best i can think of is you you if you wanted to get people to not do if for some reason you thought it was bad for people to own a bunch of properties then what you could do is say you are not allowed more than 50 percent leverage on anything beyond your first home. Mm-hmm. And that would massively transform the real estate industry, but it might not have the effect that we want. Horrible negative consequences. No, I think it might have the effect you want, actually. I think that might be where you want to go. If I had to guess, having now thought about it for a total of 18 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> that's the direction I think might be where the socialist progressive people would like things to go, which is uh, you're, you don't have people becoming billionaires off of the housing market. Mm-hmm. But most people are still going to be renters. Well, this is a different topic now. So you said this. I think that part, and in fact, a large part, well, let me separate this. There's the real world problem of people don't want more stuff and they need more stuff. Then there's, I really think what's being expressed on Reddit, which is envy. Which is mm-hmm. like, I hate that people have a lot more than I do and it's not fair. And it comes off as if it's the first one, but really what motivates it is not that. And it's uh, anger and disdain at, people with so, so much more. And their complaint is not, yeah, it's not about housing. It's we shouldn't have billionaires or like you shouldn't be able to have that much money. And of course, the problem is that in a world with the internet and massive international companies and scale, the difference between a Jeff Bezos, the top effective person at doing something who's going to make decisions better slightly more often than the next guy, his value in that market is billions and billions of dollars genuinely because, because, public markets, you know, where they allocate money. And if you buy Amazon, we'll say this is the guy that we need and want in order to make this business work. Well, I also think if you, if you step back, I also think people are pointing, you're trying to solve the wrong problem, which is we just talked about it. Even the average net worth in the country is so low that even if you made housing extremely cheap, people still couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why do so many people have no money? Mm -hmm. Is it really because there are rent seekers I don't think that's the, the what's causing it. So like if you want to solve the problem, which I assume is you want to raise the quality of life for the people that have the least income and you want to draw the border around your country for some reason. So we're going to forget India and we're going to forget all the other places. And you're going to say, okay, our country, we want to raise the quality of life of the people with the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not sure that where you'd start is with removing rent seekers because these people also don't have any income. So the question is, how do you get them income? Uh, well, they need to have a skill that the market determines is valuable. So, so it's like, okay, how do we equip these people with skills through education, education. or well, we've got apprenticeships? Education, but it doesn't seem to be working in these particular neighborhoods. But I'm saying this yeah, is yeah. where I would go. if you're Because stepping back is like rent seekers, should we have rent seekers? The bigger thing is people have negative net worth. Mm-hmm. They literally are rolling credit cards. Mm-hmm. They make no money and they have no savings, right? Mm-hmm. So I go, okay, well, that's what you're trying to solve is you're trying to get everybody income and savings so that they can afford food and rent and all that. And maybe you want to do something with rent seekers because you know real estate way better than me. But where I look at it is I go, we should try to make it so that people are equipped to do valuable things and get compensated for it so that they have more money with which to buy things, Mm -hmm. right? That, That seems to me, it's very simplistic, but that's the solution I would orient towards, which is like, we want people to have more money. And if anything, that makes the whole minimum wage argument more a more interesting area, I think, than the rent-seeking argument, which is some people argue that the way the system's set up, that they can't make a living wage. And so my question is, how do you fix that? And is that a project, is that a, about them not being able to do value? Or is that about a system that is somehow just rigged that against people, people who are interchangeable. their value yeah. away from them. And that's where I would reorient. I'd reorient towards that because I think that the renter, rent-seeking thing is downstream of, of our, do you have even income? If you said, even if you made it, okay, literally all houses are going to be worth 20 grand, mm-hmm. whether it's a mansion or whether it's a small house. Every single house is 20 grand, but you can't use leverage. Mm-hmm. Most people still can't afford a house. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so the, to me, it's not that the, People need to pay rent because they can't afford to buy a house, even if you make the houses 20 grand. So yeah. it's like, okay, that's the problem, right? So then let's figure out how to get everybody 20 grand in the bank. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then you can fuck with the real estate market. Cool. That's all that I had. What do you have? Oh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, do you want to talk? We talked about this. Do you want to talk about Charisma on Command? Okay. <laughs> well, we talked about this with uh, when we talked oh, to James yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're looking for we're looking for people who can be leaders in the organization, and we're looking for young hustlers to potentially take on projects. This is our avenue where I think we have a very intelligent audience who also might be interested in participating in what we're doing. So, yeah, I'll give you the. I I forgot to copy this over, but thank you for reminding me. So, uh. First thing that, that I want to mention is that 
Ben and I have zoomed out and asked, what is charisma on command? What works? What doesn't work? And if we, it's, it's a passion project. It's, it's Ben and I answering the question, what is the most important thing that we can do to improve our lives? And that has evolved throughout the course of our lives. So when I was 18, it was like, I need girls to like me. Yep. You know, that was the most important thing that I could do. Well, and the means it, was going to be going to the gym. Yeah. And that proved far less effective than charisma. Yeah. And charisma became our Bible thumping. This this is amazing. Everybody's yeah. doing this, this wrong. Thing. This is the thing that gets you promotions and dating and all that. Mm -hmm. And since then, it's like, oh, well, also what was really cool was having this friend group that traveled the world with me and has been far longer lasting than any relationship with the that I've had with any mm -hmm. of the girls that I had wanted to and have dated. Uh, so let's talk about this as well. And, you know, wow, I was able to quit my job because of that relationship. So we should talk about this workplace stuff. So Charisma on Command has evolved, but it is really at its core been Ben and I answering the question, what is the most important thing that has impacted our life in a positive way? Can we teach that to ourselves, the versions of ourselves three, four, five years ago? As Ben and I have grown up, that question has further moved away from charisma as the answer and has become, as you guys have seen, we talk about psychedelics, we talk about inner peace, we talk about these things that do not make really amazing clickable YouTube titles. <laughs> Additionally, Ben and I have moved away. Like, I will never use TikTok. It's not going to happen for my own safety. But <laughs> uh, I recognize that the next charisma on command person that is teaching the uh, foundational pieces of self-development is likely to come up on TikTok because the social media apps that I'm on are officially middle-aged people <laughs> at this point. So... When we, when we thought about what we want this company to be and become, I don't want to sell it. it. It's too important to me. It's got my face all over it. Uh, I do. So if you want to buy it, <laughs> contact me. Leave a comment. But I'm unequipped and I don't have the fire that I had to like teach dating on TikTok. Like mm -hmm. five tips that everyone needs to know about going to the bar. Yeah, I can't do that. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that that's the way to do it. But I, we are looking for essentially younger people that have the things that we had at that age, the fire and obsession with learning that stuff at that phase of your life, the know-how of social media, YouTube, whatever the next and the current thing is, uh, not that Ben and I were like particularly tech savvy, we're just of that generation. Uh, and we, I think, want to have mentorship roles in this such that Ben and I are increasingly in the position of CEO advisory board, but that we turn over uh, more decision-making within the company, within an ethical framework that we sort of set up to this new generation. So if you're listening to this, I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to start talking to more people to see what they could do, what skills they have if they make sense to be part of Charisma on Command. And it's if you're a copywriter or you're something you're like, I have a hard skill set that's in internet marketing, fucking awesome, great, we can talk. But I'm also... I'm scared of saying this because this is going to bring a deluge in potentially, but I'm also open to talking to the 20-year-old who has an interesting history of success in school and has done this cool thing and they traveled like I did, like me at 22. Um, a version of me that wants a mentor, wants to come up sort of as an entrepreneur inside of a company instead of being an entrepreneur starting their own thing that values the mentorship more than the pure and total chaos and freedom of doing it yourself. Uh, so if you want to talk about this uh, and what I think we're going to do is start having these conversations with people in our audience and giving them little trial projects. The trials are going to be unpaid. Really, it's the pay is 
a chance to do this. And if that's not appealing to you, totally understand. Uh, but we're definitely not going to get a ton of value out of this trial work. This is not like, <laughs> it's because I've done this before. Uh, there's a lot of teaching and training that goes into any of this stuff. So it's like, you know, come up with good titles for this YouTube video. And of course, people come up with titles they think are good and we have to talk out why they're not. But it's a chance for me to work with people, work on my training skills, see how quickly people pick up training, see if we're in the same track uh, and start to identify what the next type of person to sort of uh, guide this thing along might be. Yeah. Are you going to do any top grading stuff? Like I'll, I'll say, if I'm listening to this, mm-hmm. how do I know if I'm suited right for this? Is it good grades in high school, good grades in well, college? Does college matter? Does graduating high yeah, school matter? SAT score matter? Like, we, haven't, we haven't figured this out yet, but I'll tell you who I'm particularly um, interested in. It's the, the top grading idea is this book. It's super corporate, but the idea is that success leaves clues. And even if you're a young person, like probably whether or not you had the amazing grades, you did something interesting when you were in high school. You didn't just flounder around. And in college, you, you had the great grades, but you did something interesting. I point to Ben. Ben had straight A's in high school and then picked like the most prestigious thing in college and did it. And then went and got the biggest finance job and then the next biggest finance job. Uh, so Ben, if I were talking to him at 23, would be an interesting person because I know that if you put a game or a problem in front of Ben, he's going to crack it. This is the thing that I'm sort of looking for. Yeah, like, even though I had no entrepreneur experience. Yeah. So that's so I think that's important to highlight. You don't have to have succeeded at a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. but it would be very important to have succeeded at something. Yes. Right? That can be the corporate world. That could be you did start your own business and then sold it for yeah. some amount of money. It's not going to be I've never succeeded at anything, but I yeah. really, really want to work. But I want to learn. Yeah. yeah. No. So, it, yeah, it, so it, someone, there, it, it it really is. It's a tough job. It's it's not tough. It's easy for the right person, but it is only, I feel like not everybody's built for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're built for it, it'll be super fun. It's awesome. And yeah. you'll definitely succeed. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not built for it, it's, it's, it will it's be hard slog. and yeah. you won't succeed. It's a slog. So, and I don't quite know how to identify that, uh, but I'm looking to figure out how to identify oh, that. So, yeah. so it's very early stages. Anyways, we'll, I'll have a link in the description. I don't know what it is. Name, email, capture, tell me about yourself. Who knows? Uh, but I'll set that up and cause I'm just trying to start these conversations and I don't want to get you too excited out there. I'm not saying I can take them all. I don't know how many are going to come in, but that's, this is where we are. Cool. Also, so yeah, if you want to be involved with charisma on command, yeah, that's, that's your chance. Opportunity. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about top grading yesterday and I was like, it's really interesting. Cause like I wouldn't have hired myself and you're like, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> we're not looking for you. <laughs> and as I reflected on my own life history, I am a bad employee. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, didn't shine at the company that I worked at. I, I, w- I shouldn't hire me. I wouldn't have done good if I were hired. I wouldn't have learned the things. I, for whatever reason. You're my creative genius, dude. Uh, I'm sure your shoes aren't tied and you got some food on your <laughs> shirt, but that brain's always working. But it doesn't work for other people. No. And that's something that I can't change even if I wanted to, I realized. Because there's times where I'm like, could you just like, turn it back on for like another year or two of videos. I'm like, I know I can't, I can't make it. I can't make it do shit. And I just have to follow where it goes. And right now it goes to Dungeons and Dragons and, and that's, I have to follow it. (laughs) I just have to go, okay, we're going to build a set in my house and spend a lot of money to try to get Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it is the boss, not me. Yeah. I mean, I think that not that this would ever come through in a job application, but that you could see that at a young age, the joke was not, you were always smart. I think just, just as smart as I am for sure. 
And at the same time, the joke was like, you'll live in the backyard. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> hang M&M packets from a tree and you'll think that they grew there and you'll pick them and you'll hang out in a hammock. Yeah. Because you were the philosophy major, chill. You didn't want to win the game of school or the game of career. You were yeah. happy to pontificate on what was happening in the world and chill and do things that you wanted to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So much, that's much you. more Albert Einstein than whatever the alternative would be, yeah. you know, than, than some and I never had a mentor, a never looked for a mentor, never, never, it, it actually takes a particular type of person to have the humility and the interest to learn. And unfortunately, I, not unfortunately, it worked out, but I never had that. Mm -hmm. And I've never, I've never really had a mentor that I, that I did a good job at connecting with. I think because I lack humility. Um, just the belief that like hanging out with someone older and wiser would teach me shit. I was like, fuck no, what do they know? <laughs> Down, dude, it's the downside of being a genius. Not a, well, the rest you. of us don't have to bear this burden. This is burden. Did you have a mentor? Did I have a mentor in college. I did not yeah. in high school, but in college, I had older guys in the fraternity that I kind of modeled. Like I was a, I, t I front loaded my classes so that I could just chill senior year and be a part time student. That's something I got from the people older uh -huh. than me. I got my first internship from a guy named Andrew Tino. Shout out Tino. Tino. He was uh, two years older than me. And then yeah, in business. I, the problem with me was I found the four hour work week. I actually think I could have gotten into private equity and tried to win the game and, and done well. But then before I ever started that job, I'd already decided I wanted to move to at the time Bali and start my own business. And so you can't give 110% to two things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I ended up, what I ended up doing was trying to You were to still a good hire, right? Like they were well, happy that they picked you or, or weren't they? Um, I honestly don't know because I think I, I think I tried to do a good job, but I tried to do as little as possible, which meant when that if you was that and that shift was kind of immediate. It was early. So if you gave me something, I would stay till 5 a.m. and do it. Mm -hmm. And I did. I mean, we did a deal in my first month and I was I thought I was going to private equity to work less hours. And I was in the office, literally our, my, the partner worth more money than God, had been there the whole time, super smart guy, canceled a vacation and flew back from Utah so we could all be there Saturday, Sunday, working till 5 a.m. Wow. And I would do that if given a project, but if there was ever raise your hand for a new project, I would basically hide underneath my desk, yeah. metaphorically. And that happened, if I recall, after your first year at Blackstone that summer, you read the four-hour work. Mm -hmm. And so it was basically... Second year at Blackstone, you were checked out and then yeah. not and checked so it, out, but like you, you were not raising your hand. Yeah, I think in terms of like, do they have regrets in private equity for hiring me? Probably what you would want is somebody who thought that was their future. And so not only would they do what you asked them to as well as they could, but were in their free time trying to learn about how to be better at their job. Yeah. And whenever a new project came up, were eager to do it. And so I think you could do better than me for a private equity employee because I was trying to get out and go work on Charisma. I was trying to get out and go to Muay Thai. I really would have been very happy to be there as little as possible. Well, so if, you, and I'm just saying this, I don't know, but if you're listening, yeah, you have to, I think, want, if you're going, oh, I'm going to learn from these guys for six months and then do my own thing, like, please don't waste my time. Uh, we need, we need somebody that I think sees a longer runway than that, right? Yeah, it comes, it goes, I want to do, I want to do charisma. I'm excited about charisma. I think that part's interesting. I also would love to be involved in the psychedelic stuff. Mm -hmm. And I could see, you know, listen, people move on. I don't think you're, it's not a 10 year it's, contract. No, no, it's not it's a, this idea of like servitude, a sure. multi-year passionate person who is 
excited to help us build something and grow something. That's what you're looking for. And I think what I was in private equity was I want to do a good job because I like my bosses and I want them to like me. And then I'm out of here. But I, <laughs> but I want to go to Bali yeah. and I have the exact date that I'm going to go. Yeah. And in my free time, I'm either going out with Charlie or working on this, this BCX enterprises yeah. thing. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. All Another right. thing, this is random. I don't have anything to say about it, but I just want to announce it because it's, it's happening. So there are free at-home COVID tests for anyone in the U.S. now. I think that's cool because when COVID first came out, if you wanted to keep people safe and you felt sick, you'd have to go spend $200. So that's what I was doing when I would have a cold. Yeah. And that sucks. You literally have to drive to a place, spend 200 bucks. So yeah, anybody can just go get a free COVID test mailed to your house now. So it's a fun thing. I just thought I'd announce because I found out about it today. This is one of, we talked about this uh, in another totally unrelated area, but just the idea of privacy and if privacy matters at all, I wanted to flag. So there's a Catholic publication that used location data that they got from Grindr to trace the movements of a priest and then publicly out him as gay and fire him without his consent. And so there's a lot going on here. How did they get Grindr access? It's a great question. So it's not clear if Grindr was hacked or simply sells their users' data. It, it's possible that Grindr is not a very secure app. And there, if you Google it, there are, I don't know enough about it to know for sure, but there are accusations out there that Grindr gives people third-party data and they say it's quote-unquote anonymous and therefore not dangerous. But let me tell you what happened here. They tracked, they had a user, an anonymous a user. number, 77456 of Grindr. And they, because they know the number, they know the phone that that user uses. And they know that phone went to 123 Robin Hood Street. It went to church. the church. <laughs> and it went to the gay club. Yeah. And so this person's on Grinder at the gay club, going home to their wife and kids and going home and then going to this church. And, you know, you, it's not hard to put together. This is the priest. Mm -hmm. How do they get that data, though? That seems crazy to me, that, that you would know wasn't hard. Let's put it that way. It's either easily hacked or easily purchased. And you we're sure it wasn't like they created a catfish grinder account and found the priest and went. Mm -hmm. okay. said, yeah, yeah. So on the one hand, one could argue, well, so be it. You know, this person's wife and kids have a right to know that he's gay. Oh, but that's not how and the, it's coming. And out, the congregation yeah. has a right to know if the priest is gay, and then people can choose whether or not they want to go listen to a gay priest and the wife can choose if she wants to be married to a gay person. I think that's the default. I don't care about privacy. I don't care about selling my data. Yeah. I don't mind that TikTok gives all my data to China. I think that's the default thing. It's yeah, like, yeah. I have nothing to hide. And I think everyone has something to hide and they just don't realize it until it comes out. You also don't know what you have to hide in 2030. Like, right, yes. okay, maybe 2021, you got nothing to hide, but you don't know where culture's headed. You don't know what's right and wrong in 2030, what sort of things, uh, you shouldn't be so certain that given a governmental stance that you might not, be, that you might be hardly against, that you won't have something to hide. Hardly, by hardly, I mean uh, very, <laughs> not not sm small. Yeah, and so and so this is the question is we in order to not pay for services, we have all sold our data. Does a gay priest have a right to not be outed? Like what is our view on privacy? Because this is going to happen over and over and over again and I think it's going to be a if they if you don't mind when they come for other people, they're coming for you next type situation. Mm -hmm. So I was just curious if you've thought about privacy at all because I think Here's here's what I this is the only thing. Uh 
every no one I know has ever read a terms of service. We've all signed up for these things that we wanted to use. I agree, agree, agree. You know, and so uh, I think similar to how I uh, got my college loans, signed legal documents mm-hmm. <laughs> that we had no idea what they meant or how they would be used in the future or how they would impact our lives at as part of this socio-cultural thing that it was just okay to do. Yeah, and I, and I actually think personally people should be able to hide things. I think that they should choose not to. I think it would be cool for this priest to tell his family that he's gay and to tell his congregation that he's gay. I think that that's better for the world, but I don't think that it's good to take that away from him and say, if anything is the truth, then anyone has the ability to get it and then share it with whoever they want. Yeah, yeah. That, that feels to me, that's not what we want to have in the United States. Yeah, 100%. I, yeah. Very, I very much agree. But you don't want random third-party apps that people joined to be outing anything yeah. about, about people. So here's the problem. <coughs> no one will stop it. Because when it comes out in the micro, the people affected are this priest that wants it to not happen, his congregation that wants it to happen. So no one in his local mm-hmm. thinks this was bad. And then anyone who doesn't know him personally doesn't care enough to fight to stop it. Mm-hmm. So you just have this never-ending encroachment of privacy that even if we think is bad, oh, is we've, unstoppable we've marching about this. forward. PlayStation Network is recording everything you say, everything you say on League of Legends, chat, everything. They, there's going to be a dossier on every single person that has had a wrong think, a wrong speech, a wrong do, that uh, is not good. That's, 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 that's my hot take right there. And it's a not good. I don't know what to say other yeah. than that. But I still use League Chat and don't live as if the entire world is listening to every single thing that I say, which practically they may be one day. Or you know, if I ever run for president, they certainly will be. I'm not, <laughs> but, uh, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, it's just, you know, it's one of those, what is the word? Just the incentives. You described it You described it very well. It is a thing that we definitely don't want when we sit and think, but doesn't motivate any mm-hmm. action against. Yeah, and yeah. so it will happen. And it's inevitable that more and more data will be collected, leaked, shared. But the big story is not that, that there was an, we you know we talked about Donald Sterling. I don't want to repeat it, but was that legal? Was that a legal recording? Did anybody ask if that was a legal private recording that he had with his girlfriend? No, he just lost the Clippers because because he's an old man racist, <laughs> which is no shit. He's an old man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's there was not a single. Hey, was this? How did you get this information, dude? Nobody cared. It's it's got to go, and that's not good for all of us. That we are unwilling to protect the pariah if the information that we gathered against them was done so in a way that we don't want to encourage. It's one of the cool things about, I guess, the court of law is that they have really strict rules about admission of evidence mm-hmm. and what counts and what doesn't. And obviously, in social social media and the court of public opinion, we don't have any of that. We just. We just bury each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting, just to, just that uh, that data was out there. And also I thought it was interesting that people are going to go, oh, yeah, I'm not on Grindr. And, and I just promise you that no matter who you are, you have something that you wouldn't want on the front page of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And 
we are quickly losing the right to not have it be on the front of the New York Times. So the only thing you can hope for is that oh, you never, you never become right. important. You never, have, you never had the right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Do you want to do questions? Or do you have anything else? No, I got more, dude. Okay. Let's rock. Do you know a surgeon this week put a pig heart into a human body? No, I did not. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. What happened? So far, it survived. So far. <laughs> so they really don't know. So this is a guy who couldn't get a human transplant because his his markers were just bad. And basically, human hearts are really valuable. And so they told him, you don't qualify because we think if we give you a human heart, you'll just waste it because of your habits, uh, either your blood pressure or your smoking habit, whatever it is, you, your life basically is not worth the cost of a human heart is what mm-hmm. the medical world told him. And then one guy said, well, we could get you a pig heart. <laughs> <laughs> and so he signed up for this experimental thing. He's the very first. He's like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to die. So yeah, it was, it was very experimental, literally that there's a pig, it had 10 genetic changes to its heart to try to make it so that it would be viable for human body. They don't actually know if all 10 were necessary, but they don't know which ones were. So they had that. Then they give him a, a novel, which means not used before, immunosuppressant, so that his body doesn't reject the heart. Of course. It's totally experimental, but it worked. They have no idea how long- I said the heebie-jeebies for It's going to work. I was but, just like- <laughs> Oh, dude. Unfortunately, to research this, I had to look at photos of the heart. Yeah. And it's very nasty. They also gave him a cocaine-laced solution to incubate the heart, which I liked. Cool. And so, yeah, I don't know how it's going to work out, but it did make me realize humans are going to live forever. So we talk about the ethics of, you know, how to help people and all this stuff. And people will talk about population growth. And I think something that we're going to have to deal with is what happens when people can have babies but also can't die. Because this made me realize we're going to very quickly solve the human mortality problem. You think so? Yeah. That implies to to you that we're going to solve the mortality problem and not just the longevity problem? There's a big difference between longevity and mortality. Uh, There are so many things being worked on. And by the way, this might not be for 500 years or 1,000 years. I'm not saying I'll do it tomorrow. But between nanobots that just repair your brain as it breaks down, the matrix, figuring out how to get telomeres to reverse the aging process like those jellyfish, just replacing your body parts with genetically modified pig parts as they (laughs) break down, making you a cyborg. I think it is... 100% 100% inevitable, barring nuclear war, which could totally just game yeah. over. GG's. Humans will stop dying. And I don't know what happens because we have finite space. So I think maybe SpaceX becomes more important than ever when humans no longer die. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the question is, I, I agree with you, on a long enough timeline, betting against technology to do just about anything seems silly. It's like, oh, we won't, you know, for mm-hmm. instance, there's the... Speed of light, you can't go faster. It's like, man, the the number of laws that I feel like humans tend, even even laws of physics uh, that are just local regional laws that we don't deeply understand enough yeah. on a long enough timeline, it seems you'd be foolish to bet against anything. Well, I'll give you one. I won't even go a couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. A couple hundred years, someone will be born that doesn't have to die. All unless right. they get in a car accident. Well, this is a classic... Uh, Classic bet that you won't have to pay Listen, if you get wrong. <laughs> in, 300, in 300 years, for those of you listening, I'll unfortunately have been dead because I was born in 1980-something. But uh, just validate me in the comments section of this virtual reality simulation that you're listening to this on because I was right. I was right. I'm dead, though. What else you got? You want to talk about that lawyer thing? Is that even worth bringing up? I don't even know what you're talking about. So we hired a lawyer to write a contract, mm-hmm. and they said it would take no uh, quote, yeah. direct quote. No more than one to one and a half hours to write this contract at $400 an hour. So I was like, okay, cool. 400 to $600. 
they sent the contract. They didn't mention that it was extra hard. They didn't say, hey, by the way, this took us two and a half hours to do. It just said, it'll take an hour to an hour and a half, $400 an hour. I said, sounds good. Signed a thing saying I'd pay them $400 an hour. My contract didn't cap the work at one and a half hours. So maybe that's my bad. Uh, they send me the first draft. I purposely send them no revisions. I make the revisions myself just so that I don't accrue these hours because I know how this game works. Two weeks later, they send a bill saying that it took two and a half hours. So instead of four to $600, it's going to be $1,000. But they gave a quote unquote courtesy discount. So it will only be $750. Mm-hmm. This is not the first time the same that a law firm played. has done this exact same technique, yeah. which made me think. So if you're a lawyer out there, let us know if this is part of the unspoken playbook. I'm this, curious. I think this has to be a go-to law firm move, is quote you something, drastically overbill you. Like, Well, by the way, law firm, I don't know. It might be a contractor move. It might be anything related to quotes, that this is just what you do, is you... Bill Low you ball, twice as much high, and then give the and courtesy discount. discount you to and now, and yeah. now I'm at 50% more than I originally thought, but you're, but you're trying to make me feel like I got a sweet deal. Yeah. And yeah, I just thought, I was like, okay, this is clearly a move that people pull because I've gotten it multiple times now yeah. and I don't hire lawyers that often. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for me at least, I was gonna, I was gonna hire this person for other work. We literally hired a different lawyer this week to do something else because I was just so... Uh, disappointed at this strategy. So I don't feel like it's a good technique if you ever want to have recurring business. I bet but you it's good. I bet you it's good. I, I don't Because otherwise they wouldn't do it, you don't think? Well, it's not like perfect evolution, but I bet you're you're the type of person that is really good. I'm I'm too conflict averse in these scenarios. I just assume their worldview. They go, oh, we thought it was going to do this, but it took this. So we did your discount. I'm the type of person who goes, ah, bummer, but thanks. You're the type of person that goes, you told me in your own words that it would only take this. And now you're built like you, oh, I wrote you them. keep a very strong frame in these situations, especially with regards to, that's why I always have you do the negotiating. Well, we might get a bigger discount. I don't know. I wrote them. I said, hey, yeah, yeah, you always, I literally you always said, ask. hey, you, just to be clear, you wrote, I didn't say it meanly. I said, hey, hope you're doing well. Just to be clear, you wrote, it would be no more than one to 1.5 mm-hmm. hours. So can you please increase the courtesy discount to get me to the high end of your quote? Mm-hmm. Haven't heard back, but I also haven't paid them because they're like, we'll get back to you. Let me talk to my accounting yeah, department. Yeah. And now just haven't, <laughs> haven't written me in a week. Yeah. No, don't. But, yeah. And you, I think you're right. It's, again, that's why I have you negotiate on our behalf because I'm, I'm stupid here. So you think most of the time people just eat it? Yeah. I don't think I'm that on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I know some people fight it, but some people just, yeah, my, my frame gets busted too quickly in there. I go, oh, wow, this must've been really hard. well i could have seen that if it was actually hard it's such a boilerplate thing which was part of the i think part of what helped but anyway i don't know if people are hiring lawyers i guess watch out for that (laughs) put in the contract any any sort of contractor thing and and get it uh put your scope another thing people will say one thing it's good that you had it in writing because if you didn't it this would be way less tenable we said this a hundred times if it is spoken but not written in the contract, it's not real. So you ought, you have to read the contract oftentimes and ask yourself, how would they screw me given this document? Yeah. Well, like, what does this allow? This document allows for dozens of hours to be spent on a single thing. Like it needs a limiter. It's and, actually really, really hard not to take what somebody says on the yeah. phone into mind. So often what we'll do is we'll have you or Ivan do the call and mm-hmm. then, because I'm the only one that'll yeah, read yeah. the contract because they're a pain in the ass to read. 
And then I read just the contract with and no then ben info. And Ben comes back. And I like, like this guy. And Ben's like, dude, it needs to change this. It doesn't say this. I'm like, come on, man. He's a good guy. Like, yeah, yeah. No, because trust dude, him. It's, it's impossible not to. If I <laughs> did the says, call. No, no. He says that if it comes into. This is with uh, MCN back in the day. It's like, this says that any sort of thing that people hit, uh, like technically any deal we do with a sponsor, whether or not they email us, he gets 25% of. I was like, yeah, but he said that that wasn't a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's. It's always a problem. But it's not just you think. I think it's it's really hard to keep someone separate from the contract they yeah. send. So I think having someone else read the contract who wasn't part of the, the call yeah. is a super important part of the process. Yeah, because that's tough. And, but people will promise you the world in on a phone call, an unrecorded phone call, and then send you a contract that totally lets them screw you, and then they'll totally screw you. Yeah. So for anyone out there doing anything, this is a, if you're an employee getting a con, a, just an employment contract, yeah, don't cover yourself. Trust yeah. anyone's words unless those words are written in the contract. Very good. Yeah. Let's do questions. Sick. I got one. We, by the way, I should say we have like no contracts at Charisma on Command within the company. We, it's all handshake agreements and there's never been a problem, but that's because we, well, that's two things. We're the ones who we could hold screw all the people. power. Yeah. And then we just don't yes. screw them, but we don't, we haven't put ourselves into a vulnerable spot. We just have people who trust us Yeah, and we have never had a problem because we just would hate ourselves. <laughs> I mean, I guess the thing, if your bosses don't prioritize money and also are really good at beating themselves up yeah. if they make yeah, yeah. mistakes. Well, yeah, you don't have to trust us. You can ask for a contract with me. I, I won't get you one because I'm too lazy and we probably won't work together, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we also, no, we have contracts. That's not true. We have a contract for D&D. He asked for to cap his downside and we said, okay, this is kind of a bummer. It's going to cost us some money, but we'll do it. Yes. So we have some, but mostly within... We don't really have contracts. We just do what we say we'll do. Cool. We don't need to talk too much about that. Let's do questions. All right, we got one. Why do so many self-improvement gurus love combat sports so much? It's my favorite <laughs> I fucking thing. agree. Yeah. I'm so sick of hearing about BJJ. It's my favorite <laughs> thing, but they almost seem to fetishize it. I find that to be very interesting. Yeah, dude, if I have to listen to another podcast guy talk about how he learned so much about himself the day that he walked into BJJ gym and he was choked out by a black belt, I'm going to pull my hair out. It is the most, at this point, it was so fascinating the first time Joe Rogan talked about it, Yeah, but- I get it. You did BJJ. It was hard. You learned something about yourself because you'd never been in a fight. Well, I think I know why. It's just measurable. So yeah. the, it's it's not just martial arts. It's martial arts and also weightlifting. I know so many self-improvement people that want to join the thousand pound club. It is completely meaningless, but it just gives you a goal. I actually feel like there's more, I was thinking podcasters. Well, the reason that I'll tell you why, I think Joe Rogan is incredibly influential. And then he just has the, like, Friedmans, the, all the people around him that, Russell Brand did BJJ. You know, like, if you're a podcaster, you have to do BJJ because Joe Rogan did BJJ. Well, I'll and offer And then some... you tell your audience, and then they go do BJJ. You also don't need, so, like, I like basketball, but you need good weather or access to a court, mm -hmm. and you need 10 people. I like surfing. You need to live on a beach that has surfing, and you also need good weather you need the waves and the wind and the tides to line up and jujitsu you can show up alone and just do it and so but i think that makes him with a mat i mean it's not yes like but it makes it as accessible as weightlifting and more accessible than team sports or surfing or other things that self-improvement people might mm -hmm. enjoy I, but and also i think there is a tangible sense of growth yeah in a way that if you pick up soccer for funsies 
it's really hard to tell if you're getting good and you don't get that good fast. You know what I mean? Because it's mostly running around. The belts, I think, keep people coming. The belts, yeah. also just know, just getting your first, per, first, tapping someone for the first time. There's also, you didn't ever felt this way, but it is a high. Like jujitsu and combat sports is uh, a rush. The first time I wobbled somebody and had them like out on their feet, you're just, you're like, holy shit. I'm a monster. Like it, it's so rewarding. Or the first time that somebody that used to beat you up three months ago and then you tap them, it's such a dopamine spike. Yeah. That's really hard to replicate in flag football. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's, I think it can be euphoric. I think it's easy to feel like you're improving quickly. There's measurable goals and growth in terms of belts. I think it increases confidence as well. Uh, even maybe it shouldn't, but it makes you feel like you could handle yourself. Yeah, it in- definitely shouldn't, but it does <laughs> make you feel that way. Yeah, that you could handle yourself in a fight, which is like, okay, yeah, if it's a bar fight and you see it coming one-on-one, you're going to be in a better position for sure. But Yeah, if you, you see it coming and it's one-on-one. Yeah, but you're not equipped for violence in in the world. Unless you're Henry Gracie, who's literally been doing bare knuckle fights yeah. since he was 14 <laughs> yeah. and happens to be the best jujitsu art or top, you know, 50 jujitsu people on yeah. the planet. He's and it can, and it can help. A fight. I mean, there are, he's, I actually enjoy watching some of their stuff. You mentioned Henner because, you know, they'll have somebody gets hit and they know a little bit of jujitsu and they're able to like grab, yeah, grab it, escape. I, I love Henner. I love jujitsu. I love MMA. Literally did a cage fight. So this is no knock to any of that. But I've watched some of it. And it's like jujitsu purple belt on a basketball court. And someone who's never fought takes a sloppy haymaker at them. Mm-hmm. And then the guy will like put that guy in a knee bar or something of that nature. And it's like, oh, see, it helps in a fight. This, but this basketball court bullshit's not a real fight. You know, a real fight is when you get out of your car and four of them just jump you mm-hmm. without you seeing them. You know what I mean? And they have baseball bats. So I think it's helpful for like schoolyard scuffles. And I would include, if you're 30, but you get in a fight on a basketball court at the YMCA, that's a schoolyard scuffle in my mind. It is, it can be dangerous if it makes you less likely to run away from a real fight, which is to say if somebody pulls a gun on you and asks for your wallet, just give them your wallet and then try to get the fuck out of there alive. You know what I mean? Don't try to do that stuff that you see on TikTok where the guy like moves his head to the side and then reverses the gun and now he's holding the gun. It's like, please don't do this unless you're a Marine. Like this isn't going to go well. So yeah, I, I don't think it actually equips you for real life or death violence that well, unless the person that you're fighting has no experience in real life or death violence. But I get why it's addicting. Yeah, it's, I've said it, but it's euphoric. It helps you feel like you're growing. What are the things? So Tony Robbins has six needs that he says everything that everyone does is try to fill these needs certainty uncertainty or variety uh, significance growth contribution and love and i think that uh, it can fulfill the first four to some degree learning how to fight makes you feel more confident gives you the variety and fun and euphoria of an adrenaline rush it makes you feel important thinking that you're tougher than other people and that you're more of a man if you happen to be a man and i think it can give you growth so I think for those reasons, it's it's very appealing. Cool, and it's fun. I recommend it. Yeah, you could do it. I just I just don't want to hear about it on any podcast. That's all. <laughs> That's all. I'm just tired of it. Do people? I actually really don't. It's it is a trite conversation at this point. If you're a podcast listener, to hear this person talk about how they went to BJJ and what they learned about BJJ. 
Probably well, in the same way that low level, you're saying. Probably in the same way that you're tired of hearing about people's ayahuasca trips or their mushroom. It's like low level jujitsu, though, because I saw Jocko actually showed up and did a competition. Oh, yeah, I thought no, it was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, watching Jocko fight is interesting. Yeah, hearing people talk about their BJJ experience is. I'm tired of that conversation. In the same way that you probably don't want to hear about this person's DMT trip anymore, you know. And I'm, it's just the thing that people on podcasts talk about. Got it. Interesting. I guess I don't listen to enough podcasts where the people do jujitsu. This, this is totally news to me. Yeah, but it's a thing. It's out there. Good to know. We'll never talk about our jujitsu <laughs> experience. We have. I'm sure. <laughs> Go ahead. That's it. That's all we got. All right. What are we talking about on Patreon today, Justin? Uh, we're answering how to live young, wild, and free. <laughs> how to how to read a shy girl on dates, and then how to express your thoughts more eloquently. How to read a shy girl. Okay. Well, so that's like how to tell if someone likes you when you aren't if sure. Shy, yeah, because shyness got it. Mixed signals. Understood. Interesting. All right. Well, so if any of that interests you, we got a bunch more questions on Patreon. You can ask us questions. We'll answer them. Keeps the podcast going, and money in Justin's pocket. So, thank you to everybody who watches, and we're looking forward to seeing the rest of you on Patreon. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.